the gods work in mysterious ways. The average high schooler may be a bit moody, but they make up for it for being the perfect host and may even answer a divine calling. This week on the podcast, join me, Zach Walsh and Crystal, as we explore her upcoming tabletop role-playing game, A Divine Calling. Head back to high school as you fulfill the whims of the gods in an effort to keep them from being erased from this very existence. Drama and hijinks are waiting for you right now on Schedule for Launch. Welcome to Schedule for Launch, a podcast to discover the projects that you may have missed. This week, I'm really excited to be joined by a new creator that I've been in touch with. And I don't know how long you've been creating for Crystal. I'm going to be perfectly honest, but I'm really excited about a divine calling is what I'm trying to say. Well, thank you so much for having me on. This is actually my first really big project. I've made one other free little game on Itch, uh, but this is my first time really kind of stepping into the scene and putting myself out there with my full game. It's a really cool first step, too, especially because of some of the themes. There's some really neat touchstones that I think mm-hmm. we'll be able to hop into pretty easily that kind of we're going to get into but before we really dive into what a divine calling is can you tell the audience a little bit about yourself yeah so um my name is crystal i go by ginger geek gal 56 on all social media that includes blue sky twitter and tumblr um, I am a game designer who focuses on accessibility in my gaming, so we work really mm-hmm. hard to make sure all of our PDFs are e-reader accessible, um, and that we offer large font copies as well. Um, we also work really hard to make sure that everyone just kind of feels included. We have our mission as everyone deserves to play a game at a table, and we want to make sure that people have fun. And we want it to be intro friendly. So you're going to find that my games are very beginner friendly. You know, people who are new getting into tabletop who think D&D might be too crunchy or they don't want to play Mathfinder uh, would be able to pick <laughs> up games like A Divine Calling and say, oh, well, I have 2d6 in my Monopoly box and I could play this game. That's awesome. I have had a couple of people who really focus on accessibility on in the past. Mm-hmm. And one of the big things that they talked about was how difficult it can be to get e-readers to work. So mm-hmm. just for those who are looking at doing that kind of thing, what kind of stuff do you do to ensure that the games are e-reader friendly? Of course. So you're going to want to pay for Adobe. Um, yep. I know that's just the thing that everyone's like, oh, I can just use another like PDF software. No, you want to pay for Adobe. Um, they do have probably some of my favorite accessibility options it will give you notifications if you're like working in adobe it'll say hey this is not e-reader friendly this is not accessibility friendly let's troubleshoot it it's really great and then just having more than one friend who uses an e-reader or has access to people who use e-readers multiple different types of e-readers too helps because i've got three people who I can send my PDF to and say, hey, um, can you check this area specifically? Um, A lot of the big issues you come across with like PDFs is tables because tables don't always format. They don't read correctly, things like that. So making sure that people will check your tables and things like that. And even just finding ways to do things without tables, especially if you do like a table, but it's not in like a box that tends to help a lot. Um, So just kind of finding what the issues are 
and okay. kind of focusing on them and then reaching out to people being like, hey, I know you use an e-reader. Would you be okay to look at this and see if it works? So if you don't mind me asking, and what drew you to wanting to ensure that your games were accessible in those sort of ways? Like, is it a friend that you have or just a lack of content? Um, I have always somehow managed to find a way to be friends with people who are blind. That just is what happened. Um, <laughs> multiple of my friends actually are fully blind. Um, and then I do have a couple of friends who are just legally blind. So mm. being able to bring games to them is what really drew me to it. And also, I just believe that everyone deserves a seat at a table. And yeah. I believe that people should be represented and should be out there so that, you know, everyone just... Tabletops are for everyone. And I cannot stress that enough. That's like my main goal is to bring tabletops to everyone you know i don't want them to feel like they're being gatekeeped or that they can't do it because they're not a nerd or they can't do it because it's popular they still can it's just mm -hmm. a matter of finding what works for you yeah i think that's so good because there are a lot of really good games out there that in table format would probably be really good for people with various accessibility difficulties mm -hmm. but it kind of all starts at the book mm -hmm. if they can get into it so having that option to make sure that you can dive into something accessible is it's kind of a, a key starting point yeah and i know like the biggest issue where we've been having with our access accessibility feature is um something we'll probably talk about later called the web uh, because it is a bubble chart in the book so yeah. that's something that's been very hard to make sure is accessible um we're still obviously troubleshooting that area but we're working really hard on it mm -hmm. well we've danced around it a little bit but let's hop into it what is a divine calling so A Divine Calling is a introductory tabletop role-playing game where you'll be using 2d6s as your dice. You will be playing as a high schooler who has been chosen by the gods. So your entire game is about going to school, passing class, making friends, going to prom, being prom queen, being the best football player you can, all while trying to save the gods from extinction because the big bad in this is called the void and they are trying to destroy all the gods and separate the world so that the world can be truly free of the gods it's a it's a big ask for a high schooler it is a big ask for a <laughs> high schooler but the gods and the void have found that high schoolers are much easier to influence read that as manipulate than adults <laughs> that makes sense so why the high school setting then? I really wanted this game to be about the like chosen one trope. I grew up reading a lot of chosen one stories. So like the Hunger Games, obviously I read Harry Potter back when it was being released before we found out she was a turf. Um, yep. You know, back when Harry Potter was, you know, what we thought was good before we, <laughs> you know, all grew up and learned better. Um, so I read Harry Potter. I read the Hunger Games. Um I read the Cirque du Freak series, stuff like that. And I've always really loved the Chosen One trope. Um, mm -hmm. Sadly, I never read Percy Jackson, but this would be great for anyone who does love Percy Jackson. You know, um, it's all about being a kid and trying to please the gods. You know, that's basically Percy Jackson, right? From what I know. Yeah. I, I mean, I also haven't read, I read a little bit of Percy Jackson, could get into it, but that that's beside the point it felt to me like this was very much 
inspired somewhere between like Percy Jackson meets Buffy. Yes, very much. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's it's very Buffy, very like Teen Wolf. So like the idea mm-hmm. uh, is like in Teen Wolf, like the show, not the movie. Yeah. Um, in season, I think it's two. Scott starts falling like behind in his studies and he's having to balance like being a lacrosse captain and passing classes and being the alpha wolf, you know? So like, Mm -hmm. it's really all about that dynamic and that struggle. Yeah. So let's get into some of those struggles though. So obviously we've talked about like passing classes and appeasing the, the gods or the deities that are influencing these students. Mm -hmm. But what are some of the other player drives in the game? So a lot of the player drives in this game are can be very social. The game was written so that you can, if you want to, have a lot of combat. We refer to them as skirmishes. Mm -hmm. Uh, So you could really just run around and beat everyone up. Or you could talk your way through it. There is a very big social aspect to this game. We have three kind of big social um, mechanics. So we have, well, one, two, three. Yeah, three. So we have um, the social pyramid, which is basically a pyramid structure of the social like classes in the school. So you have the top, the middle top, the middle bottom, and the bottom. You put each of the cliques, which is um, your average kind of high school character, into an area on the pyramid. You know, like popular kids are at the top and nerds are at the bottom kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And where you land in that pyramid will give you bonuses to talk to other people in that pyramid. So a nerd would have a bonus talking to other nerds, but they would have a bane to talking to popular kids kind of example. You also have the web of fate, which is essentially it builds your character relationships. So when you do the web of fate, when you sit down at the table for your session zero, everyone will create two NPCs who are tied directly to their character and they will make a relationship with the player character on their left and an NPC for the player character on their right. So this allows them to build kind of already having these social relationships and things like that so that they don't just kind of come to the table in the same way you would at D&D going, hey, you meet at a tavern or hey, you meet at the lunch table kind of situation. You already know each other because you're already going to school together. Even if you're a freshman, you went to school with these kids in eighth grade and stuff like that. It's kind of a way to integrate your character with people who are in other cliques or like just fill out some background. Exactly. It's very similar. Um, The Kids On series has a mechanic for this that I really liked that I really took it kind of from. And I was like, well, they did it this way. And then I was like, well, what if I made it complicated? (laughs) (laughs) What if I said, hey, draw a bubble diagram for me and do it that way? And then when I play test it, they made it even more complicated because you really only need to make two relationships. You need to make one for the player character on your left and the NPC for the player character on your right. And then when I first play tested it with like my personal friends they said what if we made relationships with every npc and every player character so our bubble chart was <laughs> insane looking it was just crazy a couple of my friends got together and like they put it in word for me and i was like this is the best thing you've ever done for me because i sure have it on a piece of paper <laughs> <laughs> so that's kind of one aspect we talked about there's the actually let's get into bonuses and banes because i think they're kind of important and that starts with your cliques Mm -hmm. so what exactly does a clique do for the character other than kind of situate them in 
a social standing. Yeah, so there are, when you make your character, something that I really liked in just D&D in general is having like your race and your class. So what I did was instead of having a race and a class, you have your click and your deity type. Your click represents who the character is at school. Just your normal everyday high schooler. It's who you would sit with at lunch. So you have your basic 10 clicks where it's like you have popular kids, jocks, fine art kids, overachievers. You have the stoners, you have the weaves, stuff like that. These really kind of just set you in place in your normal average everyday life. Because like I said, this game is all about balance and trying to find a way to balance normal with extraordinary fantastical elements. Yeah. So that's what your click is. Your deity type, on the other hand, is the deity you work with and what abilities they give you. Deities can go into multiple types, obviously. For example, Apollo doesn't just have to be a sun god. He can be a music god. He can be for healing, any of those. Mm-hmm. So really, it's just kind of about what you want to do with the god and how you want to have your relationship. Let's talk a little bit more about those deity types, because yeah. something that I think is super key in this game is that we've used greek gods as the examples here Mm -hmm. but it's it's not really that it's very deity agnostic Mm -hmm. so when we're looking at that there's a lot of fluidity in deities and even player characters hosts in this game Mm -hmm. having the same deity yes so really um Again, using Apollo, uh, I tend to like to use Greek because a lot of p- more people know about it. Most people mm-hmm. took a cl- most people had to learn about it in school. At least in America, you did, or at least in Texas, you did. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Maybe Texas is different, and we all had to learn about Greek deities for no reason. Um, but um, you take Apollo for example. You could have three people who work with Apollo just working under different aspects of him. So you mm-hmm. could have a popular kid who works with Apollo, but Apollo said, here are the sun abilities. You could then have a jock who works with Apollo, who for some reason said, here are the fine arts abilities. And then another, uh, say a loner who works with Apollo, who said, here are the healing abilities, essentially. Mm -hmm. All three of them work with Apollo, but they all do incredibly different things. Sun gods, um, people who have sun abilities tend to be kind of put in a leadership position, kind of pushed forward. They have abilities to help with like speaking and kind of being a face. Um, They also have the ability that is called chariot, which allows them to drive better. Um, They can also blind people with a blinding light. Our people who have the health or medicine ability, obviously very good at healing, keeping people safe and things like that. And then if you were a fine arts person, you have the ability to basically like do things with like music and like rewriting even the epic itself. Uh, the entire game is called an epic. Uh, we took a lot from like the Iliad and the Odyssey when we named things. Um, yeah. They're like level five ability lets them completely rewrite something. They can say, that was stupid. I want to fix it. And they can say, hey, instead of rolling a horrible roll, you rolled an amazing roll and all this amazing stuff happened. And that would use their fifth level ability. Mm-hmm. So currently there are 20 different host types, I believe, yes. unless there's been more added. And those all go up to level five. Correct. Pacing-wise, how long would you say, how many games or sessions or that would it take to get to something like fifth level? 
Yeah. So depending on how long you run your sessions and kind of how your players play, it can take as few as five sessions. It can take as many as 50 sessions, you know. It could take them 10 sessions to get through uh, level one. Um, when I played and when we did all of our playtesting, it took about 20 to 25 sessions to do a full game. Um, but again, there's obviously rules in here for short format, which would be like a one shot or like a two or three session game. And then there's obviously rules for level one through five. And this game is based on milestone. So obviously yeah. you level up when the story calls for it. Mm -hmm. It kind of works in a nice way too, because I find that looking at abilities, depending on story beats, you can have a level one character be nearly as efficient as a level three character, given the right circumstances. Correct. Why balance the game around this way instead of just, I guess the word is power scaling. Mm -hmm. I wanted it like you always kind of have those characters in like a one and like um, a chosen one trope who are smaller characters who do have incredible roles. Like a great example is like Rue from the Hunger Games. She was a child. She didn't know what she was doing, yet she was able to help Katniss do all these things. And then she was sadly killed and sadly then a more driving force like in the heart more mm -hmm. of a because of this because of her death i will do better kind of thing but in the beginning she was able to help katniss with her tracker jacker stuff so you really want to be able because like the lower level characters because all of them normal like player characters will kind of level up at the same time yeah. ideally i mean you want to play a game where they don't that's on you um i'd love to hear about it uh but <laughs> most of the time i like lower level person is going to be someone who's not a player character. So it might be another host or something like that who just happens to be a high schooler with you. So having them at a lower level could work or having them at a higher level could work. Mm -hmm. I guess the thing that I'd like to know now too is this story is kind of set up with the influence between the gods and the void, the deities in the void, I should say. And part of that is the main characters are being influenced by various deities as mm -hmm. well as some NPCs. If your lore weaver chooses that, but there's also the students who are being manipulated by the void. Correct. So in this game, the void represents the characters in mythology who are cursed by the gods. Our example is always kind of Cassandra cursed by Apollo. She was a beautiful, amazing Oracle. And then Apollo said, well, no one believes you anymore cursed we think about people who then would scorn the gods the void was created out of their scorn and their hatred and their anger towards the gods and they're just going we don't need them anymore why do we still worship them why do we still work with them why why care so that anger and that hate took on its own form became kind of sentient in a way and became its own entity which gives people other abilities to take down the gods. The whole driving force of the void is not to kill the host, it is to kill the gods. So there are abilities for the void to sever deities from their host and then kill that deity without killing the host in the same process. I didn't want to kill people. It felt really harsh for how lighthearted this game can feel. So yeah. I felt like putting, you know, death as like the final option was really harsh. Um, so we went with more of a severed and now you're back to level one kind of situation. Yeah. So 
you just mentioned it there a little bit, but what happens in the event that a host is severed from their deity? Yeah, so what happens is, so if your host is severed from their deity and the deity is not killed in 24 hours, like after you sleep, the deity comes back to you. However, if you are severed from your deity and your deity is killed, you level back all the way to level one and you have no deity. However, your lore weaver can choose to give you a deity because you're still available as a host. Anyone can be a host. Deities could hop around if they really, really wanted to. I don't recommend it, but they could. It's an emotional finality because as you grow through your story, you also get to kind of know your your host or your deity a little bit better. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's really kind of like very much about like loss mm-hmm. and having to deal with the loss over having to deal with being dead or having to deal with your friend being dead. It's mm-hmm. a loss of a part of you. It's interesting to me because one of the things that I think this reminds me of is 5th edition warlocks separating mm-hmm. from their patrons. Yes, very much so. Um, and even kind of Oathbreakers, in a sense, yeah. I would feel like. Yeah. Yeah. It's that severance from a higher being. Yeah. It's very much a, like, losing... And even kind of a losing kind of what makes you special, what makes you different kind of thing. You know, all those things that like high schoolers have to struggle with, like trying to find who they are. And then they think they found themselves only to find out they're not special anymore kind of situation. I can see that kind of working really well alongside certain cliques, like the Mm -hmm. loner, for instance. I feel like a loner character would handle the loss of a deity very different than like... Uh, a fine arts student, mm-hmm. for instance. Yeah. We never got to a point in my playtest where someone lost their deity, uh, but a couple other playtests did run into it, and they said it really brings like a hush over the table, because it's it's not like you dead, you die, you're dead, and you'll have a new character. It's a your character's still there; they're just not a host anymore they're now in danger because they're not a host they're a normal person they have the minimum hit points you know kind of situation and it's just like this thing that everyone then has to grapple with like sally lost their deity what if i lose my next yeah this person's vulnerable and i could be too exactly that's such a good way of storytelling it let's let's talk mechanics for this because we've talked a little bit about the the host character themselves, mm-hmm. but you mentioned that it's really easy to pick up one of your games and roll a couple dice and not have to do a bunch of math. So mm-hmm. mechanically, what do things look like here? So it's a 2d6 system. Um, it's got critical failures, normal failures, normal successes, and critical successes. Um, the chart... One to three is a critical failure, four to seven is a normal failure, eight to 11 is a regular success, and 12 plus is a critical success. Um, It's important to note that one thing about my games that is different from like D&D or any other game with a critical failure, critical success threshold is that this does not automatically mean 
bad things will happen or that amazing things will happen. With our critical system, you as a table will discuss what is going to happen. So for example, you get a critical failure. A great example I have is um, in Tabletop Journeys, we had a critical failure um, that the table then decided would kind of be a fail forward moment. Okay. The character tripped over a uh, chair and everyone looked at them and started laughing. This allowed another character to have a plus two on their uh, roll to steal something. So it gave someone else a bonus while also being a failure to them. And it was something that the table specifically discussed wanting to have happen. With critical successes, it's very similar. You discuss as a table what happens. I never wanted someone to feel like the storyteller or, sorry, the lore weaver made the choice for them because I have this very distinct memory and this was something that almost stopped me from playing tabletops. The first time I ever played D&D, this was fourth edition, I was in college, my character got a nat one, my uh, DM had me backflip into a fire and took me to half health immediately at the beginning of combat. I don't want anyone to ever feel like that, ever. So I wanted my critical failures and my critical successes to be just a, have a conversation at the table. This is your story. Work it out together situation. Yeah. What's a personal fail for the character, but not a slap in the face to the whole group, the whole group. Yeah. And there's always the thing that says in the event you cannot come to an agreement, just treat it as a normal failure or a normal success. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's perfect. If you're playing a game like this, too, you're probably not looking for those heavy-hitting, crunchy fights. Yeah. So what kind of dice and stuff do people need to play this game? What, what's, what's the materials? It's a 2d6 system, so just 2d6. You can have 2d6 for the whole table or just 2d6 for each person. Again, Monopoly takes 2d6. Feel free to go steal it from Monopoly. Um, I only say this because we play a lot of Monopoly in my house. I know that's insane <laughs> to think that's the game we play, but <laughs> we like Monopoly. Um, you need 2d6. Um, you'll have your character sheet, which will have your four stats. So your four stats are physical, mental, social, and divine. Physical is going to be all of your physical stuff. Attack, defend, evade, capture, sneak, and flee. Um, those are the main ones. Um, obviously, if you're like, I want to do something, and it doesn't fall into any of those categories, if it fits physical, roll physical. Mental is going to be all the things that have to do with like your knowledge and kind of thinking through things. So we have investigation, knowledge, creativity, specifically for people who are visual, literary, or culinary arts. Healing allows you to heal and then intuition, which allows you to kind of vibe check people. It's a social is. Check. Yeah, it is perception. <laughs> social um, allows you to kind of work with your words so it allows you to like sway someone to do someone something lie to them ruin them um, calm them down or perform their heart out which is usually for performancing arts so like dance music things like that and then divine is your specialty one so divine allows you to use an ability so once you get to like level four and five some of the abilities say make a divine roll 
Divine, unlike the other roles, and Health as well, does not have critical successes or failures. You just succeed or you don't. That's it. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to put a critical on that because it just didn't feel right. It, it's very much a you do it or you don't kind of situation. Yeah, it's a, um, a God intervening is a pretty big thing either yeah. way. Um, you can do an active acknowledgement to your deity. Um, this allows you to kind of talk with your deity, like worship them, things like that, which then in turn can make your deity feel really proud of you and they might give you bonuses. Mm-hmm. And then you can tap into what you once knew, which allows you to talk to your deity and your deity might give you help. Um, something that someone brought up that they thought was really funny was like deities helping you with your history homework. And so I wrote <laughs> that ability in because I thought that was so funny. Like the idea of your deity being like you're in class and your teacher asks you a question. So you tap into what the deity knew and the deity tells you and then you tell your teacher and your teacher's like, that's wrong. And the deity just being mad, you know, like I am an omnipotent being. I think I know my history, you know, but it just turns out they weren't there, you know. <laughs> <laughs> there's some really good ways to play it out. And I mm-hmm. think that, that this game gives a lot of really good play space for people to interact with their deities and mm-hmm. that sort of thing. And one good thing about um, your deity is your deity gives you an object that you can use to communicate with them. Mm-hmm. The big one that seems to always come up is everyone wants to play a stoner and then they hit their vape to talk to their deity like that's happened in so many play tests and just in <laughs> games in general that's like the big one um we had Hera give a scarf to one of our players um different things that allow you to just kind of talk to them um in the book the example is a charm bracelet um mm-hmm. so you would be able to use the charm bracelet to talk to your deity when you're not sleeping when you're sleeping you can talk to your deity freely uh, you don't have to make any rolls or anything. If you're going to talk to them using the object, you have to make a divine roll. Yeah, it's... If I remember correctly reading everything, when you sleep, you're kind of sitting in the limbo world mm-hmm. between. Yeah. It's it's really cool. I like it. It reminds me of a lot of the mid-2000s, early 2010s young adult novels in, like, the best way possible. Yeah, very much. And it's also kind of like, you know, um, just dreams being able to connect you to, like, another higher being or just kind of another space, you know. Dreams Mm -hmm. just in general are kind of like this wibbly-wobbly kind of thing. So, Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, we mentioned skirmishing a little bit earlier, Mm -hmm. and it plays a little bit different than the rest of the game, like most combats do in mm-hmm. role-playing games. But things like turn order and how you approach fighting the void, how does that work? So a skirmish is specifically when you would be doing like a physical fight. You wouldn't use a skirmish if you were going to like talk your way out of something. Though you can yeah. use social and mental and physical to all do a fight. But if someone's going to throw a punch, you go into skirmish. If you're all going to talk it through and be calm and chill about it, you don't go into a skirmish. Um, so what you do is everyone's going to roll their 2d6. You're going to put yourselves in number order based on that. Yep. Ties always go to the host or a friendly NPC. 
So if you're fighting the Void and you just also happen to have Bob, who is like a friendly NPC to y'all, is not a member of the Void, and they tie with a person who is the Void, Bob will go first. Um, you can use any of your stats in a skirmish, so you can use physical, mental, or social. So if someone wants to punch them and someone wants to try and talk their way out of it, that's fine. Um, the great thing about skirmishes that I kind of took from World of Darkness is that you have an action and a reaction happening at the same time. So yep. if Bob is going to punch Julie, Bob rolls to attack Julie can roll to defend or evade. Higher number wins. Mm -hmm. So it's really kind of an action-reaction, everything's happening at once system. And it doesn't have, like, phases like D&D &D does, you know, where you can do action, bonus action, movement. It's all kind of very fluid. So if you want to run up and punch someone and then run away, you can do that, you know. It's kind of just really kind of fluid and how the story is evolving kind of situation. However, yeah. the players and the lore weaver want to work together to make it happen. It is really about building and forming a story for you and your table, really yes. creating an epic. Yes, you want to create an epic. It's all about this game, while it does have skirmish elements, lends a lot to having more role play elements. And you could truly play a fully role play heavy game where you don't even engage in skirmishes. Um, you can use the physical stats for things like football, you know, mm -hmm. or another sport, baseball. <laughs> 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 I'm not very sporty. I used to be, but not anymore. So. I understand that. I understand that completely. <laughs> so like if you were doing track, for example, you would use flee, your runaway ability, because you're running. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you wouldn't have to use flee to run away from combat essentially yeah so at the end of the day though what we're getting at is divine calling is really about creating that epic set in a high school setting and everything that comes with that setting be it the the difficulties of being a teenager or trying to get adults to listen to you i guess that's another difficulty of being a teenager but <laughs> it really could it can run quite episodically yes where was like the formation of that or did that just kind of naturally build out as you were writing the game kind of as i started writing the game it came it became very apparent that the best way to write the structure was as if kind of the way it, like a normal session would go is you go through your class schedule and Throughout the day at school, you do things like discover clues, you go to lunch, you discuss what you found, you go act on those clues, you know. It's a very simple kind of format. And using just the school day works really well because I did want to include that balance of, I have to take a math test, I need to study for math, I shouldn't go chase the void till 3 a.m., you know, kind of situation. <laughs> I mean, you can. If you want to fail your math test, you fail your math test, you know. But you have people who like the overachievers who would rather, <laughs> they would rather the void win than fail their math test kind of situation. Yeah. You know, and, you know, having them deal with like loners who would rather not be at school, you know, having to deal with that balance and putting it in like a class format gives you more structure to kind of deal with 
as like a war weaver. Um, when we started kind of playing the game, there wasn't a ton of structure, but as yeah. we play tested, the structure kind of came together. Mm -hmm. It works really well. Where do you think that the game really shines though, like in its key moments? I definitely, whenever the characters sit down at lunch, you know, that's when everyone is like, okay, we are free of the teachers. We can do whatever we want. We can talk. We can sneak around. We can go hit vapes in the bathroom, you know, kind of situation. When they have those unstructured time moments is really where it shines. And then once they're out of class, you know, that's when it really shines. The class kind of helps you gather evidence and stuff like that. And of course, you could get in a fist fight in class and then everyone at school will know, you know, kind of situation if you really wanted to do that, which happens in school people get in fist fights in classes all the time it happened in oh, my yeah. high school you know so really just those moments shine the best though when they're unstructured yeah i i love that i think it's it's super solid it runs really smoothly it's simple to pick up and learn like really simple to pick up and learn which is great for a game like this something that I personally don't know, though, and haven't heard too much about is when this game is going to be coming to backing and where it's going to be funding. Right. So we launched on October 1st. Uh, I know we oh, had we sad. personally had some issues scheduling kind of at the end yeah. of September. I had some family stuff come up and it's fine. Uh, we launched October 1st on Kickstarter. Uh, currently, we're almost 40 percent funded. Maybe by the end of the day, I'll get that one backer and I'll be 40 percent funded. Uh, we're asking for 3K. The game is 95% complete. It's important to note the game is 95% complete. Yeah. All that the funding is doing is paying off my artists. I paid everyone half up front. So we're paying the second half to them and then we're printing. That's it. That's all we're asking for. You know, we'll be ready. Um, we are, have a delivery date of March of 2024. So we're trying to do a super quick turnaround. Um, everything's going really good. We're absolutely on track to be completed in time. We're looking January is when I'll start getting um, print copies to see and, you know, be like, oh, this is bad. Let's adjust these things and so that we get those copies um, before we send them out to our backers. We do also have a retail tier. So anyone who happens to run a game store who might be listening, I have a retail tier for you. Um, and we do shipping to US, Canada, and the UK. However, if someone really desperately wants it in Australia, if you want to reach out to me at gingergeekgal56 on Twitter and message me, I'll be happy to add your location. I think it's also important to note that it's not like a huge amount that you're looking for. You said 40%, which depending on on country or on Kickstarter could be not that much, but it's, I yeah. think, I think the total needed is 3000. Yes. 3000. 3, we are USD. currently a thousand one hundred and seventy six dollars um, funded. Uh, we are, we have quite a few different tiers. So we have a community copy available. It's a $5 PDF. You get the full color PDF, the black and white PDF, the large print pdf as well um and this is our community copy so anyone who might be in financial hardships who really wants to still back the project we have this for you and we have 48 47 copies still available and every time someone buys a physical co copy we add two more copies so you're always helping out and our retail tier gets five copies so that would add 10 
you know, kind of situation. Yeah. Uh, we do have our uh, PDF copy. Our normal PDF copy is $20. The soft cover, 30 The hard cover is 40 And then our retail tiers um, have a $90 soft cover retail tier, which gets five soft cover copies. And then the hard cover retail tier is 130 which gets five hard cover copies. Mm-hmm. If we make, we do have stretch goals, which will add a prom one shot. Uh, oh, we'll fun. add two more clicks, we'll add two more deities, and then we'll create an alternative Art Nouveau cover if we reach all of our stretch goals. That's super cool. That's a lot of fun. Yeah. Our original uh, cover designer is an Art Nouveau artist, specifically. Ah. And so I was like, well, I could offer that as my stretch goal. So I told her, I said, if we get um, 15K, I'm going to commission you to do a second cover. And she was very excited (laughs) about that. So when does funding end though? Uh, the last day of October, so October 31st. Oh, Halloween of October 31st. Yes. Of 2023. We should also mention yes. that in case you're listening to this in the future. Yes. Hopefully in the future, you can just go buy the game. Yep. Here's hoping for that. <laughs> <laughs> we are planning, even if we do not reach funding, we will still continue to work on the game. It just won't be published as quickly. Yeah, it won't be quite like this. It might... It might move to somewhere like itch, correct? Yes. Um, ideally, um, we will offer PDFs on itch drive-through. Uh, we are going to be using Amazon to do our fulfillment because I already have a book on Amazon. Yep. Um, I have a published poetry collection on there. So I already have an account and everything set up and they already pay me money. So it's just easier to add it there. Yeah. I understand that Amazon has a lot of issues, but that just happens to be the best fit for me. Mm-hmm. That's totally understandable. Crystal, we are starting to run low on time here, though. So yes. I got two more questions for you. Of course. So, what drives you to create in the tabletop gaming space? I've been playing tabletop since 2012. Um, I actually started in the LARP space. Okay. I started with World of Darkness. Um, and then I started playing tabletops, obviously. Um, mm-hmm. It wasn't until probably 2016, 17 that I really got into them. I had played a little bit in college, but then I started playing with my friends. We got really into Critical Role, all that stuff. I started playing other games, so like Glitter Hearts, Kids on Bikes, um, stuff like that, and realizing that I like these less crunchy systems, and there should be less crunchy systems out there. Everyone mm-hmm. knows D&D. There's a D&D movie. Of course they're going to think of D&D. But then you have such amazing games like Coyote and Crow. You have Glitter Hearts. You have Kids on Bike, Monster of the Week that are just easier to play. Yep. And I wanted to make a game that was easy to play and was beginner friendly because I have a lot of friends who don't play tabletop. This mm-hmm. would allow them to play and have an easier introduction into the system. Yeah. Crystal? That is an excellent answer. I'm I'm glad to see you creating the space, and really this the push for including more people is always positive to me. Where can people find out more about you and a divine calling? Yeah, so we do have um, a Twitter or an X. Uh, you can find me at gingergeekgal56. Uh, you can also find Gingal Games on there, which is the company that I run, the gaming mm-hmm. company. 
Um, you can also find uh, Ginger Geek Gal 56 on Blue Sky and on Tumblr. Um, we've not moved the game company over to those two yet, but we are hoping to soon. Excellent. As always, audience, those links will be down in the description below. Go and check out a Divine Calling. From this release, I think you have two more weeks to go and back it. So go and show some support. This game's super cool, and I think it has a lot of it has a lot of options for filling out the epic that you and your friends want to create, especially those who are fans of well, we we mentioned it. Percy Jackson is a big one. My first instinct was Buffy, but it it's just really good. It's really good. Go check it out. Crystal, thank you so much for joining me on the show this week. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a great experience, and I'm looking forward to when I release my next game, I'm talking to you again. That'd be great. It'd be actually pretty awesome. So thank you. And audience, thank you so much for listening. Crystal and Divine Calling are scheduled to launch really soon. Go and help back this really incredible game. Until next time, though, take care of yourselves. I'll see you soon. Bye. Thank you so much to Crystal for joining me on the podcast this week. A Divine Calling is a really straightforward-to-play epic that works in fantastic ways. It really does set up an episodic feeling, so if you're interested in doing like a themed podcast or really enjoy the Chosen One tropes, I'd highly recommend checking this game out as it's really good and it runs really smoothly and the backing is ending relatively soon. As of the airing date of this episode, that's October 17th of 2023, funding's still going and it's almost halfway. I like it a lot and I think you will too. Thank you for listening, audience. If you like what you heard, please spread the word as it not only helps me, but it also supports the amazing creators that I get to interview on the show. If you want to hear more from me, though, you can follow me at Schedule for Launch on both Blue Sky and Twitter. I'm working on others, I promise. And you can also join me on Twitch on Thursdays as Astroceratops, like Astronaut and Triceratops. We're playing Baldur's Gate 3. It's a lot of fun. You can also catch me on Tales from the Table Studios show, One Night at Ollie's, where I'm playing Gabriel Young, surviving the horrible machines that roam that cursed amusement park for the next two Wednesdays of October. That's starting at 7 p.m. Thanks so much for listening, and I hope to see you somewhere out there.